open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's continue looking at this section of Scripture where it is laid out that Jesus is so much better than the angels. And we have all of these different Old Testament passages that are given to us so that we would understand that and we can compare the two and say, sure enough, Jesus is way, way better than the angels. Hebrews chapter 1 Beginning at verse 4, follow along as I read through this. Having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels wing, winds and his ministers flame of fire, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter of the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will become like an old garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed but you are the same and your ears will not come to an end but to which of the angels has he ever said sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation we looked at verses four and five last week and so we just will jump right in and begin in verse number six today that is taken from psalm number 97 from Psalm 97 in verse 6, and it says, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let the angels of God worship him. Jesus is greater, and Jesus is more superior to the angels because he is a God who is to be worshipped. One of the things that we read about in the Old Testament is God is a jealous God. And he says, You will not worship anyone but me. He cannot stand idol worship. He cannot stand false worship. He condemns it over and over again, and he comes down very harshly and sternly on those who worship someone other than the real God. Then we read in this that the Bible says very clearly, let all the angels of God worship him. So clearly the understanding is, is that Jesus is God and Jesus is to be worshipped. And the angels are not God and they are not to be worshipped. It's that clear. I want you to notice in verse 6, the beginning of it, and when, again, he brings the firstborn into the world. Firstborn is a phrase that we misunderstand a lot. We generally use the word firstborn to describe that that is first in a line of things or that that, you know, started things off. Really, firstborn is a, is a phrase that has nothing to do with time. It refers to position. It is not a description as much as it is a title. Firstborn, it means chief one, chief one. In fact, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and let me show you how this is used in another place to understand that this is talking about the chief one and not necessarily the first in a line so that we don't misunderstand this word when we come upon it in Scripture on a regular basis, okay? It says this in verse 18 of Colossians 1. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will have first place in everything. Okay, so it talks about the fact that he himself is the firstborn from the dead. And yet, 
we know that in the Gospels, there were a couple of times when somebody was raised from the dead by the power of Jesus. So this can't be referring to the fact that Jesus was the very first one to come back from the dead. What this is talking about is this is a title meaning the chief one. He's the chief one to come back from the dead. He's the one that sets the, st- the tone. He's the one that demonstrates this is the greatest thing. He's the chief one for this ever to happen to. He's the most important one. He's the significant one. As Hebrews is wanting us to learn, he's the superior one. And so back in Hebrews chapter 1, and when again he brings the firstborn into the world, when the firstborn Jesus comes into the world as man, as man, not that he was created, but he came into the world as man, God said, let all the angels worship him. And so we see that Jesus is better than the angels because he is to be worshipped. Verse number 7, this is taken from Psalm 104, verse 4. And of the angels he says, who makes his angels wings and his ministers a flame of fire. Angels were created by God. We have seen that. We've talked about that over and over again. Jesus Christ is the creator, and the angels were created to be servants of God. And this passage points that out over and over again. Angels are just like the wind and the flames of fire. They are used by God to accomplish the task that he wants accomplished. Sometimes it is to demonstrate his power. Sometimes it is to demonstrate his wrath. Sometimes it is to fulfill a mission of his. But angels are used just like the winds and the flames. And it says of the angels, he who makes his angels wings and his ministers a flame of fire. He uses them just like he does the wind and the flames, sometimes as wind and flames. Angels are used by God, created by God and used by God. Verses 8 and 9. But of the Son, he says something different. But of the Son, the comparison is these are the angels, this is the Son, the Son is far superior. This particular one in verses 8 and 9 is taken from Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, and that is a psalm that talks about the God-man, the Son, Jesus Christ. We see here an incredibly huge, big difference between Jesus and the angels in this particular passage. It says this in verse 8. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The difference that the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand here is that God is eternal. Jesus is eternal. He's not created. There's no beginning There's no end. He is the creator, not the created one, and he is eternal. You just read, as you're just reading through the Bible, and you understand that indeed this is talking about Jesus Christ the Son because it's incredibly clear here that that's what's going on, and you read this verse, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Is there there a, a better, more clear verse that we could find in the New Testament that declares the eternal being of Jesus Christ? I mean, there it is. People wonder, is, is, is he eternal? Yes. Your throne of God is forever and ever. You are an eternal God. Jesus Christ is eternal. He's not a created being. He's eternal. And this points that out in incredible ways. He goes on and he says, and the righteous scepter is the 
scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. One of the things that separates Jesus Christ is that he loves righteousness and he hates lawlessness. We read in the Bible about what life is like. And we read a lot of lawlessness. We look around and we see what life is like and we see a lot of lawlessness. We see a lot of things that go on that are contrary to righteousness, that are in your face anti-righteousness over and over and over again. One of the things that separates Jesus from all of the created beings is that Jesus loves righteousness. Jesus is all about righteousness. Jesus hates and condemns lawlessness. You say, well, Kent, what about the angels? They love righteousness. You remember there was a time we talked about when the angels made a choice and there was a bunch of them that were thrown out of heaven because they loved lawlessness? The angels are not above that. They have an issue with that. Jesus is the only one that has ever been totally and completely righteous. He's the only one that has ever been uh, the shining example of one who loves righteousness. And we can define righteousness in a pretty simple way. We can simply say that righteousness is right living. It's doing the right thing. It's being the right person. Righteousness sets you apart from lawlessness because of how you act, what you believe, what you do. Jesus loves, uh, loves righteousness. And one of the wonderful things that the Bible talks about is the fact that we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Is the reason why we can stand before a holy and righteous God is because we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You don't stand before God in your own righteousness. Your own righteousness isn't good enough. In fact, the Bible says that your own righteousness is like filthy rags. It just doesn't measure up. It's not good enough. No matter how hard you try, you're going to blow it. No matter how hard you work, you're going to miss the mark. You're going to not be there. And so the Bible says that Jesus Christ, His righteousness, is how you stand before God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. You have been made righteous because Jesus loves righteousness. Because He hates lawlessness. The standard of righteousness and lawlessness in practical terms is the Bible. You want to find out what righteousness is all about? Read the Bible. You want to find out what lawlessness is all about? Read the Bible. Here's the standard. Here it is. It's laid out for you. This is the path of righteousness. This is the path of lawlessness. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. There's hardly a, a part of the Bible that doesn't talk about that. Proverbs is a great place to spend time, and it'll tell you all about righteous living versus lawless living. The Psalms lay it out. The Gospels lay it out. The Epistles lay it out. The Prophets lay it out. We see it in the history of Israel laid out. It's everywhere. And Jesus loves righteousness. And because you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ, one of the marks of a Christian is a true love for God's righteousness. Do you love righteousness? Do you love righteousness? Do you love that standard? And here's what you find in life. The closer you are to God, the more you will love that standard. 
But the more you drift from God, the more that standard gets far away and it gets a little fuzzy. You need to be close to God. You need to be working on your relationship with God so that the closer you are to God, the more you will love righteousness because that's what God is all about. And so if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling with loving righteousness right now, if you're struggling with the fact that lawlessness, those things that the Bible says you ought not to be a part of, if you're struggling with being a part of those things, the first thing that I want you to do is check, where's your relationship with God? How close are you to God? How much time are you spending praying? How much time are you spending in the Word of God? How much time are you spending meditating? How much time are you spending with God? How much time are you forsaking those things that God says you should forsake and embracing those things that God says you should embrace? One of the things that should mark us as believers is that we should love righteousness because God loves righteousness. And as we are close to Him, that righteousness should just thrill us that we are part of righteousness. The New Living Translation, it translates verse 9 like this. It says, You love justice and you hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. It is fascinating that the Bible sets Jesus Christ apart as the one who loves righteousness above anyone else. In verse 9 it says, Not only have you loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, but there, then it says in, at the end of verse 9, Therefore God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. You know, the word Messiah, the word Christ, it simply means the anointed one. He's the anointed one. He's the one that's been anointed. He's the one that has been set apart. He's above anyone. He is certainly above the angels. He is superior and God has anointed him with the oil of gladness above the companions. In other words, he shines as the one who loves righteousness. He shines. Are you spending time with the one who's a, who loves righteousness? I hope that you are. And if you're not, I hope that you change that a little bit. The next couple of verses are taken from Psalm 102. Psalm 102, it says this, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain, and they will all become like an old garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up like a garment. They will also be changed. You are the same. Your years will not come to an end. This speaks of his existence. We already talked about the fact that his existence is eternal. And as we have seen with Jesus before, As we have seen with Jesus before, he's the creator. He's the one that started all of this. And it says, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth. There was nothing. The Bible says there was nothing. And God created it. He spoke it into existence. And Jesus was the avenue whereby creation was done. Jesus Christ himself is the creator. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. This is what you've done. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. In other words, the heavens declare, look at what God has done. God is on display by what he has done in the heavens. God is on display by what he has done in this earth. It's an amazing place. It's remarkable that it has been created out of nothing. God spoke it into existence. 
He didn't use the material that was already there. He didn't use an old heaven or an old earth. He spoke it into existence in a brand new way out of nothing. He simply said, let it be. And it was there. There it was. And it is an amazing, an amazing, an amazing thing. Look what he did. So it says, you, Lord, in the beginning, speaking of his existence, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Notice verse 11. They, referring to the works of his hands, the heavens and the earth, they will perish, but you remain, and they will all become like an old garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same. So it's interesting that here we have Jesus, who is the eternal one, and we have Jesus who never changes, the Bible says. Never, never, never changes. He is the same. He's the creator. And yet the Bible says that there will be a day when he will take what he created and roll it up like an old garment and toss it aside. Okay? Understand, this is what the Bible is saying. They will perish. They will become like an old garment. Like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will also be changed. Okay? This earth that we're on, this heaven that we celebrate, this is not the one that's going to be the one that is going to be permanently with us forever. This is an important theological thing for us to understand. This world that we're on right now, the earth, what we call the earth, this world was, was created and then pay attention, it was cursed by God. When sin came into the world, this world was cursed. This world was cursed by God. This world feels the pains of sin. This is not a world that is going to last forever. This world, this earth, has a shelf life. It will only last so long that's God's plan now should we care about this world absolutely we should care about this world Christians ought to be people that care about the world Christians ought to be people that care about the environment we are the caretakers of this world God created Adam and Eve. He put them on this earth, and he said, you take care of this. You tend the garden. And then when they left the garden, you take care of this world. You tend it. Are we supposed to take care of the world? You better believe we need to take care of the world. We need to be careful not to just hate God's creation and treat it in a, in a, in a horrible way. We indeed need to take care of the world. We need to care about our environment. But we also need to understand this. Humanity cannot save the world from the path that it is on. And that's an important distinction. There is a whole religion today about the environment. And it's a religion in and of itself. And it is all about save the planet. Folks, I'm here to tell you the planet cannot be saved. It cannot be saved. God has no intention of wanting this planet to be saved. God created this planet and he put in this planet the resources that we needed for life. And it's okay for humanity to take the resources out of that planet for life. 
And when those resources are done, and when God's done with this planet, He will do away with it. And He will create a new heaven and a new earth that will not be feeling the pains of sin and that will last forever. Now make sure you understand what I'm saying this morning because it's incredibly important. We should care about this planet. We should care about the world that you've been given to take care of. Your little spot of the world especially, you need to take care of it. But humanity cannot, cannot save this planet. That is not God's plan. That is not God's desire. That is not what he wants to happen. God says here are the resources. Suck every bit of those resources out so that you can live. Enjoy the life that I've given you on this planet. And when this life is done, when this time frame is done, when this plan is done, I will take you off this planet. I will destroy this planet. And I will make a new one. And that's where we'll spend eternity with God. The new heaven and the new earth. This planet is under a curse. It will not last forever. The new planet will indeed last forever. Do you see why having a biblical worldview matters? This is important stuff. And the biblical worldview says that God created Adam and Eve and, and, and created humanity and said, take care of this world. Don't abuse it. Don't ruin it by being irresponsible. But he said, I give this planet to you so you can live. And then we're going to move on. So don't get caught up in the religion of environmentalism today. Be very careful about that. Okay? We have what we have today. Is, is man's presence on this earth changing the, the, the atmosphere and earth? Yeah, it, it is. It is. And it cannot be stopped. It is. That's how God designed it. And he said, that's what's going to happen, and then I'm going to take you off this planet. And if you're saved, you're going to be taken off to a place of rejoicing. If you're not saved, you're going to be taken off to a place of horror and, and, and a terrible spot. And then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what, that's what Hebrews is saying right here. They, the, the heavens and the earth, they will perish. But Jesus Christ remains. And they will become like an old garment. And, and like a mantle, you'll roll them up and a garment will be changed. But you're the same. Your years will not come to an end. You know, what's going on here is that the writer of Hebrews is taking that which is the most uh, stable thing he can think of. The most reliable thing that he can think of. The earth. The planet. The world. The heavens and the earth. It's been there as long as anybody can remember. It's been there since God created it. It's been the one steady, consistent thing that we can look back on and say, here it is. Here's how life works. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus Christ is superior. Because that that you think is stable, that that you think is consistent, that thing will one day be done away with. It will be gone, but Jesus Christ will remain. Cling to Jesus. Don't cling to the religion of environmentalism. Cling to the religion of Christianity, the lifestyle of religion, of uh, Christianity, the relationship of Christianity. Cling to Jesus Christ. And later on, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever. He's the same. He does not change.
Now, let's talk about that for just a little while here. It says in verse 11, they perish, but you remain. It says in verse number 12 there, but you are the same. You are the same. It is incredibly important that we understand, and this was taken from a psalm, so this was written a long time ago, and then the writer of Hebrews takes it and brings it up into his time, and that was written a long time ago for us, and so we're looking at this span of time, and we're understanding that the Bible is declaring that God's the same. Another incredibly important, vitally important aspect of understanding life through a biblical worldview is that we understand that Jesus Christ is the same. And life is changing today more rapidly morally than we've ever seen before, isn't it? It's out of control. It's shocking how quickly the moral decline of our society is going. It's overwhelming the things you hear on a regular basis. Just because those around us are rejecting the moral truth of Jesus Christ, just because those around us are rejecting that that they have stood on for centuries, thousands of years, and they're doing something different, does not make their view right and our view wrong. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says that Jesus Christ knows what he's talking about. And the Bible says, and a good, healthy, biblical worldview helps us understand that when Jesus Christ condemns something in Genesis, it's still condemned in our world today. And when something is called sin by the Apostle Paul in the Word of God, it is still sin today. And when Jesus Christ said that's the wrong way to live, that's still the wrong way to live today because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You do have something to hold on to in this world that is quickly coming unraveled. You do have a firm foundation. You do have a rock to stand on. And that foundation and that rock is Jesus Christ, and he's the one who never changes. Folks, you can cling to the Word of God. You can stand on the Word of God. And even though it's not fashionable, and even though you may be called old-fashioned and out of touch, and you may be called names that are far worse than that, you stand on the truth that God gives you because it's God's truth, and it's unchangeable. And we as believers had better be doing that. Jesus Christ is the same. A biblical worldview matters. It matters big time. Life comes and goes. People come and go. Countries come and go. Governments come and go. Social norms come and go. Jesus Christ has never come and gone. He's here and he's staying. He's the rock. He's the one. Cling to him. Verse 13 then goes on and says, To which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? (coughs) Excuse me. This talks about his destiny. This talks about what's happening with Jesus next. And his destiny is he's at the right hand of the Father. That's That's how solid he is. That's how much he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's at the right hand of the Father. It is interesting that it says... Sit at my right hand. After he made purifications for sins, he sat down. It talks about that in, in earlier in chapter 1. He sat down. He finished the task. He said it's done. 
It's completed. And he sat down. He was done. And he sat at the right hand of the Father until the enemies are made my footstool. Let's look at some verses real quick. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse number 24. It says this, Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. All things will be under Jesus Christ, and we have learned from the, the Bible that Jesus willingly subjects himself to the Father. All things will be under Jesus Christ. He reigns supreme. Philippians chapter 2. <coughs> Philippians chapter 2. Verse 10, you know this verse. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those that are in heaven and earth and under the earth. Every knee will bow. Revelation chapter 19. Verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod and iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus Christ is better than the angels. Angels, they were created by God, verse 14 says, as ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Angels do God's bidding and they help us out. They are used in unique ways to help out God's people, those who are inheriting salvation. They were created to assist us. They were created to do good things for us and to be God's servants. They're not on the same level as Jesus. Jesus is superior. Jesus is better than the angels. So we need to be careful that we don't elevate angels to a degree above where they need to be elevated. Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. Let's quickly, though, go into chapter 2. The writer continues, and he says this, For this reason, for what reason? Because I've just explained to you that Jesus Christ is better than the angels. Because I've just explained to you that Jesus Christ is superior to all created beings, because I've just explained to you that Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand, because I've just explained to you that his enemies are at his, foot, at his feet, because I've just explained to you that he's the creator, he's better than everything, because I've just explained to you that he is the beginning and the end, because I've explained to you that he's eternal, because I've explained to you that he should never change. For this reason, he says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so we do not drift from it. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is this. Once you grasp the fact that Jesus is superior, 
Once you grasp the fact that nobody is close to Jesus in any way, shape, or form, you'd better pay attention to what he says. Because his words matter. Because he's better than any other words you'll find. He's better. He's more superior. He's the one that created it all. He's always been there. He's the same. So the writer says we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and, and we, we looked a little bit a couple weeks ago that indeed angels have uttered things and angels have shared with getting the word of God to men and they've been used by God in some interesting ways and those words do not alter, they do not change. If the words spoken through angels prove to be unalterable and every transgression and disobedience receives a just penalty, how shall we receive, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Look at what he says. After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Here's what he's saying. Because Jesus is better, because Jesus is superior, we had better listen to what he had to say. And we'd better not drift from it. Because if that that you were clinging to you thought was important and worthwhile, and I've just shown you that Jesus is better than that, then you need to understand that there's going to be a penalty for those that are clinging to that and not the words of Jesus. And he said, how are we going to escape this great salvation? Because it's been spoken to us through the Lord. It was confirmed to us by those who heard what the Lord had to say. Then God went above and beyond and he testified that these words were true with signs and wonders and miracles. And then the gifts of the Holy Spirit came and God said, look, I put my stamp of approval upon it. And God said, it's my will that this is the way salvation should be. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is this. You've put all of your eggs in a basket somewhere, somehow. You're trusting in something, somehow, somewhere. And I have just gone to great lengths, this writer says, to show you that Jesus is better than that basket. That Jesus is superior to that way of thinking. And I want to explain to you and I want to remind you that Jesus, who is superior, came and he lived his life on this earth and he uttered words. And other people then repeated those words. And then the Lord testified that those words were true using the Holy Spirit with gifts and miracles and signs. And I want you to know the writer is saying, and I want you to know today that I am saying that Jesus is better than that basket that you're putting all of your hope in. And Jesus is the only one that will endure. Jesus is the only basket that will last. Jesus is the only hope of all the baskets that you can think of. Because Jesus is superior to every possible way 
of thinking about living a moral lifestyle or thinking about how to live forever with God in heaven or thinking about how to reach heaven. Jesus is the superior only way. And the writer says, and I say, so what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? He's better. He's the best. And he says today, don't drift away from it. Pay close attention to it. Because there's a day coming when there's a reckoning due. And what are you going to do? When God says, why should I let you into my heaven? And your answer is, well, I tried real hard. Well, I, I followed the trends of the day. I was morally pretty good. I even went to church sometimes. And then God says, depart from me, I never knew you, because the only, only way to me is through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, shed his blood, was buried and rose again to pay the penalty for sin. Jesus is better. Jesus is more superior. And if you need help knowing more about this Jesus, find me, one of the elders, one of the deacons, one of the ladies in the church, and ask them about Jesus. Take heed to this message today. Jesus is superior. Father, we thank you so very much that Jesus is above all things. He's superior. He's the best. And Lord, a lot of people put their trust in angels. A lot of people put their trust in moral goodness. A lot of people put their trust in the fact that they were born on this earth. A lot of people put their trust they were born as Americans. The list goes on and on and on. And you know it all and you've seen it all and you've heard it all. Lord, I pray that you would convict us that we would put our trust only in Jesus Christ, the Savior the one who died on the cross for our sins. And we thank you that for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, that you assure us over and over again that Jesus is better. He's superior. He's the best. That you've put your eggs in the basket that matters. And Lord, I pray now that we would live as if that was the case. And that we would walk knowing that he's the best. He's superior. Jesus. The name of all names. Do a work in our lives. Convict us where we need to be convicted. Save those that need to be saved. Grow those that need to be grown. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.